my biggest um, sort of aha moment is like more of the commonalities that we have rather than the differences. I don't want to talk about differences, but rather nuances. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. So last week's episode with Astrid got a lot of nice feedback. Thank you to everyone who commented on Instagram, Facebook and WeChat. I was teased a bit for saying ATM machine. Uh, it's true, I should have just said ATM. Otherwise, what I'm saying is automatic teller machine machine. I actually do the same thing with a uh, pin number. So what I'm saying there is personal identification number number. I don't know, maybe there's something Freudian going on here. Maybe I'm just nervous when withdrawing money from my bank account. What does that say about me, I wonder? One of the connections between last week's guest and this week's is that Astrid mentioned her WeChat, Peng Chuen for the place that she finds out most of her news. So in English, this is your WeChat moments. And what I forgot to explain last week is that this is the equivalent of your Facebook timeline or your Instagram feed here in China. In fact, Maple in episode two of this series also said that her WeChat moments was her main source of news too. So this is the handy link to today's episode with Jorge Lucio. Jorge works for Coca-Cola uh, as the Greater China Marketing Director for Sprite and Fanta. There's a lot in this conversation about WeChat and the way in which marketers are using this platform, as well as those owned by the other big giant Alibaba. Now, when I was younger, I really thought that marketing was just a study of common sense. Well, I was wrong, especially when it comes to digital marketing here in China. This is a real science, and today's recording is a bit of a masterclass. We talk about some of the really interesting market insights that Jorge and his team discovered about the Chinese consumer. And we talk about creativity in general in China. We also talk about China's unique digital landscape, which is dominated by Alibaba and Tencent. This last bit especially, while being an easy listen for any marketing experts, may be a little dense with information for everyone else. So to those people, let me say that you have nothing to worry about. Uh, Jorge is a great speaker and you'll be lured in by his Latin charms. Having said that, there's one part in the middle where I myself got a little lost. I only truly understood what Jorge was talking about when I heard it through a second time. <laughs> but if he's talking about his experience with the Schweppes brand, then that's a sign that you've already made it through the hardest part. Jorge and I jumped straight into the chat without any hellos and how do you do's. So let me quickly introduce him again. This is Jorge Lucio, the Greater China Head of Marketing for Sprite and Fanta. He's originally from Venezuela and he had an international marketing career with Coca-Cola in Caracas, Bogota, Atlanta and Mexico City before coming to China. What is your object that you've brought in today? Well, it could, be, it could sound a little bit lame, but actually I brought a bottle of Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very straightforward object. So tell me then, what, what is your current job concerning Sprite? I actually want to, to rephrase a little bit the way Sprite is now in China. My point of view is like how we can find more stickiness and more like a deeper relationship with consumers uh, in a more emotional way. Because I think that refreshment as it is right now, it's very generic. And there's a lot of people talking about generic, uh, generic refreshment. And so we've been, uh, it's not that we've been attacked by other refreshment propositions, but it's like a, uh, we're kind of diluting of how, what is the role of Sprite in people's lives? So we need to keep reminding them that, um, that actually it, it could be more emotional than just pure refreshment. So you're refreshing the refreshment brand? Uh, in a way, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of refreshing the emotionality of how we can use 
uh, a brand to have a more deeper relationship that is more intimate with them, with Chinese consumers. So. Well, let's get straight into that part then. So where do you even start? Like, how do you, how do you work out what the Chinese consumer wants? So when it comes to China, about that, you start to understand, okay, what are the key levers of consumption that you need to, to attack? Whether it's like Sprite is the biggest brand of, of our Coca-Cola company in this, in this country. Having such a big brand, it's a, it's a brand that you don't need to do much thing about people getting to know Sprite, but right to have, like, as I mentioned before, to have a deeper uh, connection, deeper interaction of people, more frequency to drink, um, to, drink to, to, to be more relevant in different occasions that rather, you know, drink it occasionally. Right. And so how do you pinpoint what those moments are? Uh, the most important thing is mixing art and science. The, the science part is getting the data, is getting the right facts to understand a particular business issue or a particular opportunity that we have with our brands or with our, with our, with our, with our portfolio, with the, with the projects that we have. So that's big data, that's uh, understanding different data sources, so that's, uh, and having clarity on how to get this data, right? And the other part's more like the sign, the, the arts, which is like mixing on real deep insights, anthropological studies, uh, understanding and talking to consumers in a more intimate way. So it's all about mixing all this data to get the right facts behind some hypothesis that you want to validate uh, in order to create things. And then the other part is like, how you can mix your, for actually lo, most of the time we use common sense and we use like our stomach <laughs> to, 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 to kind of filter those hypotheses that we created of resources with the data to mingle it with something that makes sense and to craft a, a particular strategy. So let's go to um, the first half then where you're doing the actual research and you mentioned the anthropological side as well so why don't you give me an example like, like what what was one of your insights that you found out about the China market that you didn't know before one of the things is uh, that I have found that it's a little bit different than other countries that I have worked with it's about pressure and social pressure uh, becomes something very very relevant in terms of China um, China is, is a country that has developed uh, dramatically over the last 40 years and that has opened to the world over those 40 years. And this has generated a lot of pressure on peoples on how they can define success and they can thrive for some aspirations that has been somehow imposed by mm, this hectic uh, ideal of what success looks like and and it's something that it's um, surprisingly permeating yeah different tiers of the society um, by age or by uh, socioeconomical by in, by income uh, and even by regions so it's it's very widened in terms of like the the social pressure guides a lot of, of their their thinking and the way that they interact with consumption or with brands or so that's the that's the most uh, th that's the striking one for me at the beginning. Yeah, that's a good example. And so, did you, having learned that, did you um, devise a strategy or a certain a certain campaign around that knowledge? Yes. For instance, uh, Chinese New Year, CNY we call it. Um, uh, in CNY, people are. Uh, uh, even if it's a time to connect with their family, it's a time to, for family gathering. It's a time to enjoy, uh, you know, being together, um, 
it uh, it for most of the people we have understood that is very it's a moment of a lot of pressure. It's not only the the, the emotional cost of of, go, of ta- the emotional and physical like money that you need to spend to go there, but actually. Um, is a is a pressure time. It's a very a mental pressure time. Why? Because talking about this societal pressure that people have in their mind is the time also to get a formal, informal interview with your parents. So the figure of the parent is so important here, and especially the the father, uh, that you need to go there to explain to your father. What is the, the scorecard of the year, in a way? How much money are you earning? Uh, when you're going to get the promotion? When you're going to get married? Um, uh, when are you, are you moving? Are you, are you taking a bigger house? What is the brand of your car? Um, what do you think your boss uh, thinks about you? Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it it's, uh, embeds a lot of pressure, and it's like a lot of burden around that. And I guess it's not just your father, it's the whole extended family as well, right? Your uncles. Of course, of course. And it's a moment, so uh, what should I tell them? Mm. How I'm going to look smart so I don't lose the face in front of my family? There's a lot of things that plays around that. So um, coming back to what the heck uh, refreshment means about this, is about this mental pressure that puts you in a very difficult moment where you need to step back a little bit and say, you know what, you shouldn't take this kind of things that seriously because the, the the whole brand expression the whole brand tonality and language of first pride is very you know casual it's very informal it's about daring and being really authentically who you are you don't need to be uh, imposed by anyone else so uh, we found that this is a very very deep insight and we're playing around that we started this year with uh, with our CNY campaign and we're evolving into making it even more relevant more tangible and more emotionally compelling to our consumers so I think that the, um, in that way, it's like how you can find like a like a big uh, insight on on these consumers based on a, a societal um, evidence or, or a societal fact and and transforming it into a powerful insight. It's very interesting. That's a great example, and I guess that was something which you may not have known personally before coming to China. Like, what what other assumptions did you have before coming to China? Well, several. <laughs> Uh, especially about like thinking that well, oh my god you're uh, they should be so different right um, not only because the way we look so different uh, between each other but like the culture should be so different the way they they do the way they act and yes there are some so- societal things that uh, mm, that differentiate us but my biggest um, sort of aha moment. Um, when I first started uh, to work and collaborate and design things for them, it's like how, how uh, more, more of the commonalities that we have rather than the differences. I don't want to talk about differences, but rather nuances. Uh, so we all have the same needs. So apart from the fact that the, 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 um, the penetration or like the per capita of tea or some herbals uh, are, are bigger here, Actually, the, the interaction with consumption or the interaction with, uh, with beverages are, are quite similar. What about in terms of the team, um, you know, the, your, the other marketing team here in China? Did you have any assumptions about how it would be to work with other Chinese uh, employees? Yes. Um, because you hear it's kind of this, like, myth 
or social myths that, you know, Chinese are super good at executing things and, and copying things and replicating things. And so in that way, they're not very creative. Then I say that, oh, it would be very difficult for me to develop strategies with them or to create something uh, or, or to develop something that is very creative. And I was really, really surprised and in a way that... Um, I started to interact with them, and yes, they're, a mach they're machines of working, <laughs> which I, I actually uh, really envy in a way that they're, they're so resilient and, and, and they're very good at executing big projects and big complex projects in, a, in, a, in an amazing way that I would never do that and that we don't have these kind of capabilities in our countries. Um, but, uh, but when it starts to come to creativity strategy, they have found a way to uh, to be really pragmatic on using the kind of economies of a scale that they generated of, of being good at and taking it to the next level. And I think the, the instrumental tipping point to take that to the other level is digitalization. And, and it's how everything is so digitized right now and how it has been evolved dramatically the way we use digital and digital ecosystems to take these ideas and this like uh, massive repetitive things into something that it's like out of the box inside generation so they have creativity they have uh, other they have other like more like soft skills but it's represented in a different way right and i guess because the digital landscape here is so different than anywhere else. I guess there's a unique skill set here. Maybe maybe this is the right time to actually explain what that landscape looks like. We're talking about the things like WeChat, um, the things like um, Weibo and Alipay, all the things that we have in China that don't exist elsewhere, right? Definitely. And it, it, it's, um, it will be very difficult to replicate in other parts of the world. Actually, one of the things that we want to do as a company is to really understand how what are the key things that we can replicate in the rest of the world. And my initial thinking is like uh, we can replicate forty uh, percent or fifty percent of of the things that it, that that it can be achieved here or that they that we can activate here. So basically, there's there's like a duopoly here um, in terms of, of big data of information, which is like a WeChat and and Tencent Group and Alibaba Group. So they, they basically own the whole data mining and the whole data landscape in China. And this is something very unique um, that, it, that, that you cannot replicate in, in other parts of the world. First of all is the scale, right? So the penetration of uh, digital here is more than 95%. To, and, and, and especially in a country that has 1.4 billion people. So just by that, the... the the scale uh, and the amount of data that you can process and that you can get and all the iterations that you can use behind that massive amount of data is unprecedented in any part of the world you can have. That's number one. Number two, I think it's about uh, digital payment. And digital payment, if I remember correctly, is more than 80% of penetration. So imagine this 1.4 people... Um, uh, multiply by 0.8, uh, it, it, it's, it's incredible, the mass. Uh, this generates the trillion uh, 
uh, interaction in terms of money going from one point to another, that uh, it's something that in any other parts of the world, not even UN all together can get this massiveness. And if they would, it will take too long for them to, to achieve that. The other part is like the richness of how you can get and how you can design something behind this big data. Right. So WeChat, as you know, it started to be like the the competitor of WhatsApp or, or, or not. Let me put it this way, because actually there's an interesting thing that I found when I when I came here. And it's about one 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 concept that it's named innovation, which is like the imitation plus innovation. And this is something that striked me a lot when I was here. And WeChat is an example of that. Because it started as a WhatsApp, right? But then they say, like, okay, how I can take a WhatsApp and become it a super app? And it's not about like chatting and sending photos and sending some voice notes to people. It's about, and you know that because you live here, it's about WeChat is our life. Everything of our life, of, of our life, that, that the people that we live here, it, it, it could be based or could be solved by WeChat, right? Because we can chat with it, we can pay with it, you can have uh, your social networks around it, you can purchase things uh, in, in, in e-commerce through it, you can have... Um, uh, you can have a stimuli and you can have like a different um, uh, uh, entertainment around it. So everything is, everything is there. So marketers like us, the biggest thing that we can start is by understanding um, different levels of, of connections with, uh, with consumers. Uh, like in the rest of the world, it, it's kind of the same. You start with mass media or you start, you start with um, yeah, mass communication to generate main thrust communication, to, to, to have a compelling, widened um, reach of any particular uh, point of contact with people. So that's number one. And, and most of the things are happening through WeChat moments that you can get uh, you know, different uh, campaigns or, or different like uh, above-the-line communications. Okay? That's the first one. And then um, the, the other part, uh, the, the second one, it's, a, it's more about like how you can generate um, mini apps or mini programs uh, that actually can interact better with more transactional uh, or linkage to uh, e-commerce. So in, in terms of, of WeChat or, or these super apps, the fundamental thing that is very different and uh, that, we can, that we are leveraging a lot is like how we can create platforms that help us to uh, approach to our consumers and solve uh, some of the pain points that they would have in their interactions with, uh, with categories, with, with products, right? So you need to be be there, and the other parts more like how you can get more relevance in their in their for those like kind of super users, uh, or, or people that are super loyal to your brands is to generate platforms of loyalty around and and WeChat it's a, it's a magnificent tool to do that. So there's kind of three layers uh, on that more like mass, more like transactional, and the more like uh, for those loyalists or, or or for those like super users of your brand, how you can have something that is more tangible in terms of rewards. So WeChat and all these ecosystems are are incredibly useful uh, for us to have a, a more a, a deeper connection with consumers. What about when you're um 
trying to get market insights with, with, as you were saying before, this sea of data. You've got a trillion data points now and you're linking it with payments as well. What can you do um, on that side of things? So I think it's separated the two topics. One is about the insight generation. And uh, insight generation based on big data is amazing because um, linkage to purchase is something that is a consequence or, or that it's uh, underlying on the big data. And let me explain a little bit because it's, uh, uh, it was very complicated to me and it could be complicated. So uh, to put you an example, how you get insights from other parts of the world, you go to Nielsen, you go to syndicated data that they sell, or the, or you 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 buy the the information right uh, from them, and then they give you a segmentation of our particular uh, consumers, and they say, okay, this is by age group, this is by socioeconomical level, da da da. Here you can go directly to these um, big companies. Or you can develop your own data by interacting with them. So it's like a, a virtual circles, circle. Um, and then you can go and say, that, okay, I need to understand a particular, um, a particular uh, beverage consumption. Let's say soda water, which, by the way, we have, right? Uh, Shrimp soda water, right? And then you say, okay, I want to understand better. Uh, why people are drinking soda water so fast? And this is something that happened to me when I, when I arrived. <clears throat> And then I say, soda water, because normally uh, Schweppes is about mixers, right? So I'd say, like, oh, I didn't know that they like to mix that much. I thought they were drinking like Bayou or something like that. And then I realized that uh, people were drinking soda water uh, for health reasons. Uh, because, so first of all, I, I, I talked with these uh, groups um, to, to say, like, let me hear about everything that is said about soda water. And, and let me understand, based on the data, not only on, on the way they purchase soda water, on the way that, um, but also in the way they talk and all the social conversations uh, that they have in social media around soda water, so I can shape and understand what is the consumption landscape of soda water. And, and it's really interesting that I, that I found that uh, soda water was being consumed by... Um, by people uh, that are taking care of their health. So coming back to that, so you get big data to understand social listening and, and to understand like uh, why uh, people are talking about a particular product and then you start to get like, first of all, to segment and, try, uh, and to understand how to, how to eat this elephant in pieces and then to understand and create some hypothesis behind that that you eventually go and validate with a more traditional or more like a non-data data big data driven understanding you go to anthropologists you go to talk with consumers to reshape that and then to generate some some strategies behind the other part is like how you can use this information after you validate your hypothesis to to develop uh, e-commerce activations and, and to say like okay where should i put it i should put it at at what time should i put it what types of communication i need to use to have compelling message and you can measure everything here about what, what kind of communication is more appealing, what is the best click-to-rate to make these people, uh, you know, get the interest of purchasing more or to repeat the, 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 the consumption. So it's like, a, it's really it's eye-opening for me to understand how you can leverage so much on digital to craft all your strategies and, and develop plans. 
Because you actually see the the purchasing of your product in real time. Like as as you are activating something in the market, you can then see how many people are purchasing the product. Definitely. And in real time you can you can not only take decisions of what are the things that are working or not in terms of your communications and your, the connections that you have in, um, but also to, 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 to have a, a direct dialogue with your consumers and start to feeding you back on innovations, on things that they reward the most. So it's really rich. It's really rich in, in terms of what you can learn. Well, thanks so much. And I, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen next here. It just seems like this is one area of many that China is way ahead of the rest of the world. Mm, definitely. Well, let's move on to the second part. The second part being the 10 questions. So let's jump into question one. Great. What is your favorite China-related fact? Well, several. Uh, massiveness is one of them, and I, th- I think it's related to massiveness. I realized that there are 675 million active gamers in China. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what is the population of Europe, but I think it's less than that. So imagine uh, more than the population of Europe playing games every day of their life. So for me, that's like, a, wow. Wow. And that's one segment of the market that you particularly target? I would say that we target, uh, Sprite is a big, big brand. So we, we focus on a wide part of the population. Hmm. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Well, honestly, and I feel very bad because uh, I don't speak very good Chinese. And I would say that amongst of my friends, which is like very, very few, it's Huampinalu uh, Fushilu, which is <laughs> my street. Uh, what's your favorite destination within China? Shanghai. Oh, right. You're very loyal. <laughs> I love I love the city. I've been amazed from day one. And, and yes, I, I think uh, China has fantastic places, but I, I feel every time I feel more amazed and, and I love the city even more. So it would be Shanghai. If you left China, what would you miss the most? And what would you miss the least? Oh, it's very easy. WeChat stickers. Right. <laughs> I yep. have to send you something. Yes, I, that's, that's coming up. Uh, and what about the least? Well, I would say, and it's not about talking about different manners, but it's about like, burping. It still strikes me. And it, it, I don't feel disguised, uh, but I, I feel like... Um, it's, a, it's so, <laughs> for me, it makes me laugh every time that I hear that. And it's so, it's so natural for, for people of any, any, <laughs> any kinds of people. It's super normal to do that in the middle of a meeting. And it's, uh, I, I will not miss that. <laughs> right. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? It, it's about what we discussed before. It's about the differences versus nuances. But the nuances make big difference. <laughs> mm. And, um... And, and, and it's the, the way that their mind are preset. Uh, every time the, I try to think that the logical that they're using to respond to a certain stimuli, and, 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 and it strikes me the most. So each time you learn a new insight, it's a new surprise. Mm, definitely. What's your favorite place to go out, to eat, to drink, to hang out? Well, my terrace. I have an amazing right. terrace. Well, I-, I like my terrace. And uh, we threw amazing parties there. And then I really enjoy having people coming over to the terrace and enjoy the, the good weather. What's the best or worst purchase you've made in China? My scooter, definitely. 
I love it. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? It's about uh, a famous star of soap operas in Mexico. <laughs> Um, that actually, I, I I was so surprised to receive that here in China, you know, in the other part of the world. And it's this, like, you know, this beautiful girl, but it's, like, so, you know, 80s and so old-fashioned, but, but yet so insightful and so current right now. So that's my favorite one. And uh, you can use it by several types of, of emotions behind it. So, yeah, I love it. And you know what? It has a great caption, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm gonna let people look at it yes. on social media. Uh, very funny. Thank you. Uh, what's your go-to song to sing at karaoke? Surprisingly, it's a it's a Chinese song, Fade Gong Gao. So you, it, I had to learn it because uh, I don't know if you know that most of the companies, when you first the first year that you arrive, you need to perform in the annual dinner. So I need to perf I needed to perform. They say, "What do you do?" And I say, oh, "Well, I think I like singing." So they say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let, let's put you to sing." And I said, "Oh my God, I need to." <laughs> and then I I was in a business trip and I was hearing in in Guangzhou, and and I was listening to this song and I said, "Oh, this song is so beautiful." And um, and they told me the, what the what the song was about. It was like uh, you know overcoming problems, and we were having like this super trouble project at that time. And I said, "Oh man, this is so perfect." Uh, so the song is about that. <laughs> so that's the one that I sing. Amazing. And finally, what other China-related media or just general sources of information do you rely on? Well, the lame ones, not the normal ones that we have in WeChat, like a Smart Shanghai. But uh, honestly speaking, I get very, very uh, educated, and I get a lot of information when I um, talk with my media agencies and, and in general with my agencies. They they put us in contact with the latest trends and things that are happening in the social uh, and digital landscape. So it's uh, every time that I interact with, we, we do this periodically and I get a lot of information and insights from them. So I would say that. Great. Well, thanks again, Jorge. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Me too. Oh, and the last question. Yeah. Out of all the people you know in China, who should I interview next? I have this uh, super interesting Chinese girlfriend. Uh, her name is Amelia. And uh, I think you would love to talk to her. So she's a super avid uh, traveler. Uh, she's a bon vivant. Um, she's really interesting. I think you should talk to her. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to meet Amelia. Thanks so much, Jorge. Thank you very much again. Thanks again to Jorge for this. I warned you, it was dense. So let me jump straight in with some information about the graphics that I've posted on our social media accounts. There's one graph showing the number of users in China accessing the internet via mobile devices. The number is actually 98.6% of all internet users. So that's a little different to the numbers that Jorge mentioned off the cuff in our interview. I did also find another graphic showing the swift pace of mobile payments adoption in China, projected at around 80% of smartphone users. That's compared to around 30% in the US and closer to 20% in Germany. Jorge also mentioned Bai Chou. He said it when speaking about soda water, um, where he was surprised that um, Chinese people were buying so many mixers when he thought that people mainly drank Bai Chou. 
So let me explain this. Um, Baijiu is an alcoholic drink in China. It translates as clear spirit or literally white spirit. Many people would certainly say it has the same taste as white spirit. <laughs> it's closest to Korean soju, uh, made from certain grains, and it's always served neat. And in the same story, Jorge also mentioned that the marketing team had heard chatter about soda water from health-conscious people on Chinese social media. What I wanted to make clear was that it was those people、um, who were making those claims, and Jorge himself wasn't making any health claims. What else? Burping. So yes, you definitely see it and you hear it more in China than elsewhere. That's a fact. But that's not to say that everyone in China actually thinks it's fine outside of the context of enjoying a meal. What I'd say is that most Chinese people overlook it if someone else burps. I think in China it's probably ruder to be the one who is chastising others for burping than being the one who's burping themselves. That's why, as the only foreigner in the meeting, when someone else burps, you'll be the only one with the "seriously, did no one else hear that?" look on your face. Jorge's favorite WeChat sticker is also up on social media. The best place to see WeChat stickers is, of course, on WeChat.、Um, so please find me there on username Oscar one zero eight seven seven, and I'll add you to the group. The Mexican telenovela character in this sticker is called Soraya Montenegro. She is apparently enjoying a resurgence on social media because of the overly dramatic performance of the actress who plays her. The song "Fade a Gungao" is by Wang Feng. It simply means "fly higher." And finally, I like it that、uh, Jorge's favorite place to hang out was his terrace. That couples nicely with one of Astrid from last week's answers to the same question, which was anywhere with the terrace. And also, Jorge's best purchase in China was his scooter, which is the same answer that Philippe from Shanghai Disneyland gave in his answer in episode one of this series. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, editing by Milo De Prieto, artwork by Danny Newell, and China technical support from Alston Gong. Thank you very much for the ratings and the comments on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast. It really does help to spread the word. Thank you for listening all the way to the end, and see you next week.